Hey, beer nerds. Welcome to the podcast. You know, as always, thanks for listening and subscribing and, and sharing and doing all those things that make me look good. And if you haven't yet, go ahead and uh, like and follow Building Breweries on Facebook and Instagram. It goes a long way in helping me out. Today's interviews will be a little different. I'm talking about automation and beer and beverage with Ryan Stockinger. He's the owner and director of Craft Automation in Kalamazoo, Michigan. We talk about his company a little bit and, and how they keep brewers creative by automating the mundane. We go into a little bit about the future of automation technologies and how they might impact employment in the beverage industry as well. But what I'm actually really excited about to share with you and uh, share with you all today is introducing you all to my first guest host, Mackenzie Hardman of the Bitches and Brews Beer Blog. Uh, Mackenzie lives out in Utah and will be speaking with Uintas founder, Will Hamill. Um, I'll let you all listen to the interview, but they do cover a little bit about Uintas uh, National Park Series and uh, you know Utah's alcohol laws in general. So I am looking for guest hosts. If you work in beer or maybe report on beer for some local news media or a blog, let's talk. You know, there are a lot of different breweries out there in the, UN, in the United States and worldwide with a lot of great stories, and I can't be everywhere. So if you have decent audio equipment and feel comfortable behind a mic, email me at michael at buildingbreweries.com. I'm happy to be joined now. Via telephone by Ryan Stockinger. He's the owner and director of Craft Automation, located in uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan. Ryan, thank you for joining me this morning. Great. Happy to be here. Uh, so just before we get started, just uh, you know, tell us a little bit about how you got into the brewery automation game and, and kind of how Craft Automation, the company, came about. Sure. So uh, I was in the corporate engineering world for a long time. Uh, we had been building chillers. Uh, so I was a refrigeration engineer and, um, we actually, we started working with a local brewery in Kalamazoo called Arcadia Ales and, um, we installed their chiller and we did quite a bit of maintenance on it. And, um, you know, we just, we eventually got to develop a really good relationship with those guys. And, uh, there was an opening in their engineering department and, uh, they asked me to come on board. So that's kind of when I started my my craft brewery uh, career. Excellent. And uh, and then craft automation itself came about? Yeah. So then uh, after I was a brewery engineer with Arcadia for about uh, three years, you know, I really started to see a need for, you know, an economical automation company that, that understood the brewing process, but also understood, you know, automation and, and uh, technology. So, I started craft automation and just um, kind of hooked up with a couple of OEMs in the industry, and uh, we started doing grain handling controls, and then it just kind of expanded into uh, brew house controls, and then also doing a lot of cellar controls with um, you know guys like Sprinkman, Malt Handling, uh, ABT, a lot of a lot of the big names in the industry. Awesome. Tell us a little bit about your clients, kind of just about a you know a snapshot of who they are, what, what kind of size they are. Yeah. So, I mean, we really try to work with everybody. Uh, but, you know, to be specific, we, we generally work in the 60,000 barrels and under. Uh, we, we consider ourselves more of a craft brewery automation company. Uh, you know, the larger guys, they, they need they need a little bit more um, constant support and 
resource that, you know, a small company like ours isn't going to be able to offer quite yet. So, um, it's mostly, you know, the, uh, 5,000 barrels to 60,000 barrel range. Awesome. And, and how many, uh, how many clients do you have in your portfolio? Uh, I mean, we've worked with probably 60 different breweries, distilleries. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the list just keeps growing. Uh, it's, it, we've only been open for about a year and a half, but it's uh, it's a pretty big portfolio already. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think I saw, I think I saw, you know, not to drop too many names here, but I think I saw Wicked Weed and, and Trillium on that list as well. So Yeah, uh, yeah we did a nice, a uh, pretty nice package with Trillium, uh, controlling their grain handling and, you know, automating that whole system, getting it uploaded to their network. Do you all have any, uh, yeah, we're pretty, what's that? Do you, do you, uh, you can go on, sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I was pretty excited about Trillium, actually. Um, it's a good excuse to be able to go to that brewery whenever <laughs> I want. <laughs> I'm sure. I, I need I need to make my way still. Uh, are you working with any kind of regional restraints, or are you, are you willing just to go about it anywhere right now? Um, we we really will go just about anywhere. Um, we, we try to, to keep it as local as we can um, for for some of our, like, R&D projects and that kind of thing. But, I mean, for the most part, our standard product offering will will go anywhere. All right. Uh, what is uh, what is the most requested service that you're, you're seeing? For us, it's, we, we get a lot of requests on seller controls. Um, you know, the there's not a good option right now. And when you can offer something that, you know, does email alerts and, you know, gives you some scheduling control. Uh, it's a really, it's a really quick ROI and, uh, the brewers really love it. So pretty much anytime we put in a seller control, I mean, we'll get a call within another few weeks from somebody who saw it and is pretty interested in, in getting that put onto their system. Yeah. Uh, what is, uh, what's the, you know, a typical success story look like? A typical success story? Yes. Oh, um, you know, for us, it's, I guess success on, uh, on our end is really just having a customer that's, that's able to, you know, it's kind of cliche, but I mean, we really try to get people back to doing like the creativity side of their industry. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's really what we call success is trying to automate the mundane and the just absolutely boring and let you know let brewers get back to doing what they're good at and what they love to do you know nothing nothing makes me happier than to see a guy who's you know working on a recipe rather than charting data and walking around <laughs> to 50 different color tanks you know writing down gravities so. yeah I, b- I believe your all's tagline is keeping brewers creative by automating the mundane yeah, yeah. I mean, that's trying to, that's pretty much our goal. <laughs> right on. Um, so, what what kind of difficulties is the craft automation? You know, again, the company facing. Uh, I mean, for us, you know, automation is a little bit of a dirty word in the in the brewing industry. Mm-hmm. So that that's probably been our biggest um, uphill battle. Is just for one, kind of explaining to brewers that we're we're there to. We're, we're there to eliminate the parts of their job that they don't like. We're not there to eliminate their job. You know, it's, it's, 
it's all about getting people back to doing the important things and and taking over situations and procedures that you know don't need to have an intelligent talented brewer working on yeah go, going to the to the job discussion i guess you know there's there's a lot of um negativity out there maybe that you know through automation technologies um i guess in, in any industry really causes certain yeah. you know unemployment rates to you know maybe raise um but it sounds like you all believe in, in more of a, a job shift rather than a job loss so maybe yeah. you take away their their um uh, the, the mundane, as your tagline says, and, and add them to more creativity. Do you find that to be the case then, just yeah. in general terms? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I think a lot of times in any industry, that's really automation's goal. Um, you know, obviously, in some, some situations, it's strictly, you know, we're going to make robots rule the world. But that's, <laughs> that's, that's not our... I mean, we, we get requests for situations like that, and honestly, we just don't do that. Um, I don't ever want to be in a situation where I'm essentially making, like, a push-button automation control that's, you know, taking away somebody's job or something like that. That's that's not really part of our mission, and... Um, sure. It, it's just not something we're ever going to do. <laughs> sure, yeah. And, and on the flip side, I guess for, for br- bigger breweries that do have, you know, huge automation systems you know if they're making yeah. more product i was speaking with a distributor friend of mine recently and, and he argued that maybe brewery jobs are taking out but then the brewery has to go out and, and hire more salespeople to sell the product yeah. that they've that they've um, grown so much um it, it's yeah, just and that's sorry go on oh i'm just gonna say yeah and i think you know in all industries that's really what it does it creates a job shift you know it 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 takes maybe something that's not necessarily like skilled labor and transitions that into, you know, um, a maintenance guy or a controls engineer or, you know, more salespeople or, you know, obviously just even an operations manager to kind of oversee that whole process still. So it, I would definitely argue that automation, it may take away a few jobs, but for the most part, I think it's just, really driving competition and um progress in in more of a skilled labor right on yeah um and and, you know so automation's been around for quite some time now i i guess but really with the rise of you know internet of things um technologies and and smart devices i think there's been a big kind of boost um where do you see automation technologies going into the future specifically in in beverage In beverage, I mean, I think it's really going to go to just being constantly connected. You know, everyone, like you said, has a cell phone, has, you know, essentially a computer in their pocket at all times. And with the beverage industry, I mean, it's such a, especially breweries, distilleries, it's a constantly changing world. I mean, it's, you know, one day your schedule's on track, the next day, you know, you get a tank that goes bad and you know everything just turns to chaos so as competition rises and more breweries come up i think it's really going to turn into just being 100 percent connected all the time and not having to be there but just understanding your process and knowing where everything is at at any given time right so let's say uh, let's say i'm a small brewery 
uh, and we've been doing a lot of things by hand so far, and we're, and we're kind of sick of it. Uh, and I want to go to Craft Automation and, and request your services. Um, how do I begin mm -hmm. that process, and what does that process look like? Yeah, the easiest way is honestly just to check out our website. Um, you know, there's a lot of information right there that kind of gives you a, a basis for what we do. But, um, you know, honestly, too, our contact information is on there. And, you know, we love talking to people. We love talking about beer or whatever. And, um, you know, even if you have questions that aren't related to automation, I mean, we've, we've all been in the industry for a long time. So I would say... Um, get on the website and grab our uh, phone numbers and give us a call. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All right. Um, Ryan, thanks for your time. I, I really do appreciate it. Um, yeah, automation, automation is just a, it's, it's a interesting thing to talk about, I think. And, uh, you know, like you said, it's kind of a dirty word sometimes in the industry. So yeah. it's nice to kind of clear things up a little bit. Oh, perfect. Yeah, it was my pleasure. All right, Ryan, thanks for your time and take care. Yep. Thank you very much. Bye. Hi, this is Mackenzie, and I'm here at You Into Brewing, interviewing Will Hamill, the owner. Find this on the podcast with Building Breweries, or check it out on Bitches and Brews. I've got social media, Instagram, Facebook, and bitchesandbrews.com. You can check this all out. Okay, so um, just to start out, how did you into come to be? Were you a home brewer and you wanted to do a brewery commercially, or pretty traditional story? Yeah, it's the the home brewer gone wild. You know, needed a job and I love beer, so started working at some breweries and then moved to Utah, my favorite state in the nation, and uh, started you uh, into brewing. Real, real basic, you know, just yeah. loving the craft. So I know you started just 20 blocks away from here, right? So was it just you moved to have more space? Was it you moved to maybe yeah. get a better market here? or? Well, we were renting the space uh, 20 blocks east of here, and we ran out of space. So we had a 15-barrel brew house producing about... 14,000 barrels of beer and uh, we had the cooler outside and no loading docks and we were at shake apart speed so we bought this land and built a new uh, building. And this is on five acres did you say? Yeah originally it was only on about two and a half acres and we had about 26,000 square feet and then today we have about 90,000 square feet on five acres not including the outdoor tanks Right, and the outdoor tanks, you have some tanks that are a thousand barrels? We do, we have some very big fermenters and bright tanks uh, made by Zeman out of Germany and they're about a thousand barrels, yeah. They're pretty amazing too, they are huge. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, when you got this started, did you ever think it was going to go this far, you'd be making this much beer and everybody across the nation would pretty much know your name? No, um, really, I thought that we'd be a local brewery. That was always our motto, Utah's local brewery, meaning that my five-year business plan was 5,000 barrels. 1,000 first year, 2,000 the second year, on to five years, and I didn't know what would happen after that. But in year two, we uh, met our five-year plan. Um, so today, at 38 states and 110,000 barrels, I don't know. Um, no, I didn't didn't think it would be that big so we just kind of go with the flow 
Yeah, and you're doing a great job of that. <laughs> Thank you. We try every day. So I know that you're in 38 states, and I have had people from other states contact me just through social media to get things that are just here at the brewery, get them the freshest. Right. How do you build that kind of notoriety? I think making first and foremost, employing the best people possible who make the best possible beer with the best possible shelf life, because 38 states, you have to go far. You know, you want the beer to be as brewer intended when the consumer interacts with that beer. So if they have that, if you have that, then I think then the social media and the word of mouth and being available in front of the consumer who's so passionate, that kind of builds on itself. And I think it has, allowing us to be the 38th largest craft brewer. Yeah, 38th in uh, 7,000 breweries that are in the yeah, nation. I think the BA has it about, um, the Brewers Association members, there's about, I think, 5,400 members, but the, uh, the Tax and Trade Bureau, um, they have about over 7,000 brewers in America today. Yes. That's not easy that you've made it there. I think there. three years ago there was half that. Wow, three years and we've had that kind of growth. Might be four years, I'm not certain, but there's about 700 breweries opening a year or two a day in the last That's two so years. Easy. I wasn't aware of that. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. That's a lot I of competition for you guys and to yes. still be ranked where you're at. But you make great beer, and I think wow, that's thank first you. and foremost. Obviously, marketing probably helps, and I know that you have like the park series, um, so that brings awareness to the national parks and some appreciation to them, right? How did you come up with that idea? Good question. You know, I think Utah is so near and dear to me, where the access to the mountains and the skiing and the outdoor recreation is so readily available for a large city like Salt Lake. And that's kind of why I chose to put you into where it is. But the national parks, um, we have five national parks in Utah. I saw the opportunity, and the marketing department saw the opportunity to make a nice golden ale and celebrate the national parks at 100 years old um, this past year. And last week was National Park Day, uh, Week. And so we're just trying to find different ways to get our beer in front of the consumer and also celebrate and embrace uh, our treasures in the United States. Absolutely. Do you Are you an outdoorsman? Do you go hiking and do some of the kayaking? I do. I, I, I hike um, and I mountain bike and road bike and I'm an avid skier. Uh, we have the best snow in the world, uh, just we so do. you know. Um, and I'm a very spoiled skier, and I can work and ski in the same day. Who else can do that? Yeah. You know, place that has a large airport with many universities and culture. That is something I wondered, the culture here. So we have a different culture of just, in general, our department of alcoholic beverage consumption, right? So that's, they have a lot of regulations. Was that really hard to get started with? <laughs> no, no, it wasn't hard to get started. That's a good question because I think people have a mis 
conception of that. The the state Utah Department of Alcoholic Beverage, the UDABC, they license breweries the same way the feds license breweries. So if the federal government has a problem with your operations, then they will. But if not, um, they're pretty copacetic with the, with the, um, the feds. The real difference is the access to the beer once you manufacture it. So in Utah, we have a semi-controlled state where any beer 4% or below is uncontrolled. Anything above that is controlled, so it has to go through the UDABC. You know all that stuff. I do. <laughs> so did that make it hard to, say, get it out to consumers and see if every day make it's anything? A, every day it's hard, yeah. <laughs> But, you know, uh, we have 37 other states that, um, that we sell to, too, and they're just as difficult in a different way. So Utah's not alone, and there are weird rules. Every state has weird rules. So when people think, oh, Utah's uh, a bad state to, to manufacture alcoholic beverages or drink in, um, they usually haven't been to Utah when they say that. And yeah, there is a big struggle for a brewer like Uinta to get their beer to the consumer because of the liquor commission that is the distributor of this product. Well, and then as far as where they put it, because I know we, if you sell anything that is over 4%, you got to have it at the liquor store, or you have to sell it here at your liquor store. So if it's at the liquor store where there's no refrigeration, does that bother you? Is it, <laughs> does it, it does. worry you about what you're going to sell at, to the liquor store and things that, like that? That's why we try to keep the inventory low with them and make sure the product is rotated. But remember what I said earlier, as brewer intended, we want that beer to be as fresh as possible. And Absolutely. having it un not refrigerated is another way of taking the shelf life away. Uh-huh. Definitely. <laughs> I've noticed that. Um, we have a lot of different things in the um, in the liquor stores that are that are basically they sell you just one kind of beer and, and that's it if they're going to put it there. <laughs> As far as the park series, I'm just going to go back to that. Okay. I just wondered, not to get too political here. I don't, <laughs> don't want to get too no. far into that. But are any of the any of the ales in the series inspired by the Bears Ears monument no. dispute? No, it's a separate. Um, it's we're not um, involved in the land dispute, or it's not a land dispute actually. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are facts <laughs> that <laughs> in the way. There are a lot of facts here. So, um, you know, unfortunately, some legislators in Utah think that it's the state of Utah's land, and, and it's never been. And yeah. I'm not pointing the finger one way or the other. I'm just saying that uh, um, it's the, the UN to Park Series beers, we want to celebrate all the parks. So, Bears Ears would be another one. I have to agree. <laughs> um, so, I know you don't have very much time. When Utah moved, so. when. when Utah was settled, it was Mexico. Oh, really? So, I didn't know that. Mexican territory. We should look at that history <laughs> well, more maybe, closely. Yeah, maybe we should. That's interesting to know. Yeah, look, at, look that up. For all of you, look that up. <laughs> and voice your opinion and let your legislators know. 
Um, so with this, have you seen a lot of growth because you have this park series? Is that been because of that? Oh, uh, it's a. I mean, it's done well. The product is it because we're growing. Um, it's one of the factors. No, it's not the only factor. Yeah, it's, it's another way of, of you went to trying to give back to the community and trying to embrace what we have and respecting what we have and trying to uh, to um, embrace that. Absolutely. I think that's probably why you have such good reception. I've always heard good things and I know we have to hurry so I'll just hurry and ask you do you have anything coming up? Any events or any releases that you would like to yeah. talk about? Well, all the time, you know, our, our latest big release is Lime Pilsner. So we started with the 801 um, Pilsner and have added fruit to the same beer. And we're uh, hoping that people will love it. It's really um, pretty good beer. I'm not a fruit-flavored beer um, type of person, but I know a lot of the consumers are. And uh, it's, it's good. It's really good. But our latest release, I guess, to talk about would be this beer right here, the birthday suit. Every year we make a, a new soured beer, and this is our latest one. It's the 24th anniversary, and um, it's pretty good. Cheers. It's excellent. Cheers. Um, so I actually, I did wonder if it was difficult to gain traction in Utah compared to other states, we sort of touched on that already. So you said every state has their own hurdles to get over. So what would say what would you say is your best selling state? Where do you sell the well, most? Well Utah. Beer? Utah is our best selling state. And we are the largest craft brewer in the state and we are uh, have do do pretty well in market share. But we feel that there's still a lot more room in Utah for Uinta to be in a lot more accounts and have better penetration. But Utah, because we're here working it every day, it's a little bit easier and I think we get better traction there, as you mentioned, than being in, say, Texas, which is a very difficult state. What is the hardest state for you to get any penetration? I'm not sure the latest. Texas would be one. Um, Illinois would be another one, but a lot of it has to do with distri distribution mm -hmm. and the sales team there and our, we hire individual salespeople for those markets and how good of a job they're doing. There's so many variables to answering that question. Absolutely. <laughs> maybe having too many beers and confusing the consumer, um, maybe not enough, you know, belief in the distributor to bring out multiple beers and recommend multiple beers instead of Hopnosh and Lime Pilsner and Detour there should be Baba and there should be our Golden Spike Hefeweizen and, you know. oh, absolutely. so kind of a hard hard question to answer because you'd have to go market by market and every market within a state would be different definitely so because you have 38 different states that you're distributing to what is that like? Is that crazy putting together a team that can do that? <laughs> We're constantly evolving. You know, we have I think about 135 wholesalers, distributors mm -hmm. across the nation, and we are always trying to be better at hiring the best salespeople, interacting in a positive way with our distributors, 
who are out there every day and have hundreds of people in the market who can either champion your brand or wait for it to sell itself. With that being said, since you are doing so well getting to all the different states, have you ever thought about going abroad? <laughs> I know there's a few breweries, craft breweries like Stone Brewing and some of them that have breweries um, overseas, but I know that's pretty far stretched. We, um, we haven't done a great job with that, Nilenta, but we intend to and we have been historically in Sweden and England. So we have sold beer overseas, but very little and not very, uh, without a plan, so. That'd be great. <laughs> I'd like to go to England or Sweden and drink it. Yeah. If it, tastes, if it tastes good. <laughs> yeah, if it tastes good by the time We have to there. do refrigerated containers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, either that or put another brewery there, right? <clears throat> Maybe, yeah. <laughs> Big project. <laughs> well, I know, I think we're running out of time, and I know you have some things you've got to get to, so thank you so much. It's been great talking to you. Yeah, good talking to you. Thanks for uh, pushing the word out for uh, Uinta and the craft beer community. Absolutely. Cheers. Cheers, Kevin. <laughs>